to see all of you here tonight. We continue our study in 1 Corinthians, and we have noticed in the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians how the Apostle Paul is dealing with fighting and divisions that were occurring within that Corinthian church. And he addresses it by talking about the centrality of the cross, that the message of the cross was worldly wisdom, but in the wisdom of God, that was what he was attempting to do and did do in shaming worldly wisdom and shaming the wise so that no one would be able to boast before God. We would not be able to stand before God on our own power or our own wisdom or our own knowledge, but that we would depend ourselves completely upon God. And so what we're going to see now in these next few chapters as we move through this beginning part of 1 Corinthians is now the Apostle Paul must deal with the way they are thinking. He has addressed their divisions. He's addressed the problem and talked about the concepts of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom and how their minds are firmly in worldly wisdom and not thinking in the ways of God. And now we're going to notice in chapters 3 and 4 that they're going to see the Apostle Paul talking about now you need to change your way of thinking. That it is their thought processes that are the problem and they need to change their thoughts and that would change then the divisions that are going on among them. And so to begin then, uh, I would like for us to begin with the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 3 and we'll look at that paragraph and then we'll continue forward after that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? But when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Let's start with that paragraph, and you will notice that he addresses them fairly sharply and says, the reason for your divisions, the reason for your fighting, and the reason for your strife is that you're acting spiritually immature. He says in verse 1, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I had to address you as infants. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready because you are still in the flesh. And so he addresses them and says there was a problem and that the problem is you're still acting like infants spiritually. You're like babies in Christ. And we recognize with our own children that very thing that in the beginning as an infant, that's a wonderful thing as they drink the milk and that's expected of them. 
But it isn't very long as the teeth come in that that's not going to be sufficient for, for growth anymore. And that there's something wrong when you're at 3, 4, 10, 15, 40 years old and all you're doing is still drinking milk. And that's what he's saying is, uh, yep, you began that way as infants in Christ, but the problem is you're still that way. That's still only receiving the milk. You're still only taking in these basics. And I could not give you the meat, as verse 2 says. I had to feed you with milk because you were not ready for it. And so the picture is what was useful in the beginning should have been discarded later on for proper growth that these Corinthians needed. And so one of the things that I think he's observing with them and the the implication that he's making is that when there is jealousy and when there is strife and when there's these divisions and fighting, it shows that they are of the flesh, that they're not behaving spiritually rather as he says you're behaving like mere humans you're acting like everybody else you're not acting godly which I think is an interesting observation to make in terms of what worldliness looks like one of the things that we'll often talk about in speaking about a worldly person is we will often speak in terms of immorality you know well they were a drunk there are all these kinds of different sins that will come up with and I want you to observe that it's not only those things that describe worldliness but even this mentality of a lifestyle that thinks like the world we've spent a lot of time over these last two chapters where the apostle Paul is really struggling with them saying you can't think like the world you can't accept the world's wisdom you can't behave according to the world's values you can't think along those lines and here's the apostle Paul saying when you do that's showing that you're worldly that you're in that same kind of mentality and that is a problem then and so when we look to the world for our standards for our attitudes for our values for our worth or for our hope then we're just simply being worldly and when we fight when we argue when there is jealousy when there is strife we are also being worldly we are acting spiritually immature and the apostle paul is saying these divisions shouldn't be happening you should be growing up and the reason why you have this strife is that you're still in the milk and you haven't grown into the areas that you ought to be growing up in and so i think what a sharp thing to tell them is because you are causing problems, he's telling them that means you're an infant. And it means you're being spiritually immature. You are worldly in your thinking. And so he drives that to them and that he will carry that through as we're going to see tonight through the rest of this chapter. And I think that understanding this principle is really important. It is a really important principle that the Apostle Paul lays out about that there is a time for spiritual milk and there is a time where that you must move on beyond that and move into spiritual growth and spiritual depth and spiritual meat. And it is in, for us then as teachers to encourage that of Christians. And I want us to consider that this is really, really important. Uh, I, I think, observe way too much to my own fear and dismay and how many churches do not want meat and do not want depth from the Scriptures. Tell us the things that we can agree on. Let's just 
do some basic topical lessons that at the end of the day we will all pat each other on the back. Yay, we're Christians. Rah, rah, us. We all go home feeling better and it's another day checked in here on a Sunday. And I think there's a lot of desire for that. Don't tell us we're doing something wrong. Tell us we're doing well. Don't go deep. Just teach us the things that we know. Don't make my head hurt in talking about the things that are in the Scriptures. Just keep it on a shallow level. And notice the Apostle Paul said, there's a problem with that because you can't grow on milk alone. I love how the writer of Hebrews speaks of saying, it's long past time that we moved on from these things, these basics. And he talks about things that when you read it, you might go, well, that doesn't sound very basic. But he says, these things are the basics. You must move forward in your growth and continue in your walk with God and recognizing that it is a disaster to our growth. When we do not choose to want to challenge our faith, to challenge ourselves in our knowledge of the Scriptures, to go deeper and consider what God has to say. We need that depth to grow. And I hope then in thinking about what the Apostle Paul is telling them here, that we would consider hard teachings and hard texts that we will be glad for that, to enjoy the challenge of going into the Word of God and coming into passages that at the surface level you read that and go, I'm really not sure what that's saying, and to want to try to figure it out, to not be Bible readers that will read something and go, well, that just sounds too hard and just move right along and give me something that's a lot easier to understand. Let me stay in the basics, but that we must challenge ourselves to move away from those basics into the harder things. Remember that Jesus himself did that. One of the things that you see Jesus doing that I find in many cases quite stunning is that as he has multitudes coming to him, how often he would teach difficult things. I mean, John chapter 6 is a most notable one when he just simply says, well, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to have any part of God or any part of me. And everybody goes, what are you saying? And they all leave. Who's going to stop and consider what do you mean by that? And try to go deeper and consider what Jesus is saying rather than taking a shallow surface level understanding. Here, Jesus is already trying to push into depth. So much so that when Jesus then turns to his 12 and says, well, do you want to go too after these things? And they go, no, no. Even though we may not understand these things, there is one thing we do understand, that you have the words of eternal life and there's nowhere else for us to go. And that should be our desire as well, is that we would see that there is nothing off limits in our studies, but desire then that very depth so that we would never be satisfied in our knowledge or in our place of understanding the Word of God, that there is always room for more, that there is always a greater depth and always a greater striving in understanding what God has to say. It has always been, you know, behind the curtain here, uh, this has always been my perspective and my vision that I do the more challenging things on Sunday night with you. I have, from the very beginning since I've been here, I have decided carefully what I believe would be of an easier level and moved those always to Sunday morning and things that I thought that were harder and of greater challenge and depth and I've always placed them on Sunday night. 
Because I believe that the core, those who are dedicated, those who are really seeking, need to be challenged to go deeper, push further, keep going. There's more to learn. There's more to grow. There's more to see. And I've tried to use the Sunday night as an opportunity for that, that when you come back, it's not... Alright, something very similar to what we heard this morning, but it's going to be, I hope you got a good nap in and you got your Tylenol ready because we're going to go much deeper than the things that we've been doing uh, in the morning. And because we see the Apostle Paul saying that is we must be pushed toward that. We must be pushed away from milk to the solid food. We must be desiring to grow in those things and to be excited about the idea of looking into the Word of God for those those hard things. That's why Revelation wasn't on Sunday morning. It was a Sunday night series. There's a reason why certain things are a Sunday morning series like the Sermon on the Mount, but Sunday night gets Romans and things like that. It's just understanding that we want to push those things to those who are ready for meat versus there's other audiences that are not ready for that depth yet and appropriately so. But it should also cause an introspection on our part that are, are we moving to that kind of depth or have we just been satisfied with milk? We should be really pushing ourselves that there is a time for that when we first come to Christ and we are first learning the ABCs of the gospel, but how quickly we need to be moving forward into the deeper things, into the harder teachings to get a greater understanding of who God is and our relationship with Him. What a statement that he says there in verse 1 when he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I'd address you as infants. What a devastating declaration that we would not want to hear, but that we are ready for that kind of depth as well. And after laying that out, you'll notice that he he brings out by saying you show that you're still in the flesh, verse 3, because there's jealousy, because there's strife, because you're acting in a human way, because you say, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. And he then just simply turns around and says, do you know who we are? And I want you to consider, he doesn't simply turn around and go, do you know who we are? We are awesome apostles and you should hold us in the highest regard. He goes, do you know who we are? We're servants. How could you be arguing over us? How could you be fighting over us? How could there be divisions because of us? God is the one that has the power. And our allegiance belongs to God. It doesn't belong to any individual at all. A message that we have seen, I think I have said this every lesson through 1 Corinthians so far. It's not about us. It's about God. And he's making that very point here. Verse 5, what then? is Apollos and what is Paul servants through whom you believed as the Lord has assigned it's about God getting the praise that we're just merely servants and that we don't rank ourselves there's no greater importance there's not the preachers more important or the elders are more important or the teachers are more important or the deacons are more important as if anybody is more important that is as ridiculous as saying my hands are more important than my feet you go, so which one do you want to get rid of? 
Uh, neither. Uh, they're all very important in their own way. They have special tasks or special roles that they are different. And that's why we read that blessing in Ephesians for that God gave these different roles and gave these different tasks because they are needed as servants of Christ to be able to bring the body to the unity of the faith as he writes there in Ephesians chapter 4. And so we should have that same mentality and that same attitude that our perspective of who we are is just simply workers. That's all we are. If the Apostle Paul and Apollos can say, we're just servants and we're just workers, well, what does that mean for us as we strive? Well, if that's all they say they are, then I'm certainly well below all them. <laughs> so I look at Paul and go, well, okay. Then I, my perspective needs to be the same. And that our perspective together should be the same. As he words it there when he says in verse 9 that you are God's field, you are God's building. Do you see who you are? You belong to God. You don't belong to Paul. You don't belong to Apollos. You don't belong to a preacher. You don't belong to an eldership. You belong to God. That's who owns you. So don't divide and fight over these kinds of things. You belong to Christ and you must then follow Him and listen to Him. This then is the picture of maturity. I I think it is sad how often I have witnessed, and I'm sure you have as well, when you see elders or deacons or preachers who just think they are so important. (laughs) I just don't understand that. We are nothing. I love what he says. Here's the Apostle Paul in verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Nothing. We're just doing the job. We're just fulfilling the task. We're just carrying out the work that God has given us to do. And that is the picture that that is is being given. That we would see ourselves simply as servants working in God's field. We are workers helping build God's building. That we do not receive any glory. But it is God who receives the glory because it is His field. It is His building. And we belong to Him. Now that leads really into this next section. Notice what he says in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work has any if that if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer a loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you if anyone destroys God's temple God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple Great movement now as the Apostle Paul presses forward and he says, do you understand what this is all about? Jesus is the foundation. 
He is what it is all about. That it wouldn't be about us. And I think it's so interesting. It says there in verse 10, uh, God, by the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. I think he's referring to his work in Corinth and saying, I came to Corinth and laid that foundation and someone built upon that. Probably referring to Apollos and the work that he's done. Though the Apostle Paul would likely say he's also been a builder of it. When you think about the multiple letters he ends up writing to the Corinthians, the multiple visits that he ends up having, having a painful visit along the way and all that would go on. He's been building on this foundation as well. But the point that he gets across is that if we build this foundation on anyone else but Christ, it is absolutely going to fail. It seems to me, and it doesn't take you long to turn on the TV or basically drive around, and see how many churches seem to be built upon human beings rather than upon Christ. I'm very much blown away by that. It's always my favorite when the church's website is thepreachersname.com and I go, that's not right. (laughs) It's not about that individual. The foundation is supposed to be Christ and Christ alone. It would not be about any of us that God owns the building. And what notice what he says there from verse 12 to verse 15 is that God is going to judge the quality of the work of the builders and that you see this declaration then that God as, as grace has been given to Paul and Apollos are just simply contributing to the work there in Corinth. We are building as as God has given us the ability, we laid the foundation, I built upon you and God is going to judge then the quality of the work that has been, been done there. And how often the Apostle Paul will say your spiritual success is what matters most to me. He'll often talk about, I didn't want to run in vain what I heard you were doing. And he does the same thing here in his concern as he's describing here in verse 13. His fire is going to test what sort of work has been done. And verse 14, the work that anyone anyone has built on this foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. But if that work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. I want you to succeed. His heart is very much to the Corinthians, and no one wants to see that work to be destroyed. And I really believe that is the heart of any godly leader is that they look at God's field, God's building. They look at their congregation in which they serve and in which they work. And their joy comes from the spiritual success of the flock. I will admit to you that is very much me. When we are in turmoil, I am in turmoil. When all is well and good, I am well and good. I want to see the spiritual success of every single person here. And that's why you would hear the Apostle Paul talk about the burden that he had of all of these churches. Or he would go and plant it and establish and would would lay foundations and build. And you think about all the work that he's done and his concern for each and every one of those. Can you imagine all of those Christians all over the Roman Empire, why that weighed on his mind? 
A true Christian leader and a godly leader is concerned about those things and is very much desirous to see the success spiritually of those who are under their care and the great concern and love that they would have for them. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, we have built this congregation, we have given our lives to you in such a way so that you would not be burned up when the fire comes. And friends, for for my own sake, I have seen so often, to my absolute heartache, how often I have seen in so many churches where the trial of fire came, to use the words of the Apostle Paul here, And all was lost. The church divides. Souls are lost. People are hurt. People leave the faith. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, is very clear here. Many leaders are going to be held accountable for that. That's what he's describing of the different work of what we did in building that our responsibility to this task the work that we have in growing and building you up is such an important task. It is so serious that you will notice how he says it in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That is a collective right there. He's speaking of the church in Corinth there. You Christians here in Corinth, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Those are just chilling words that every Christian should take seriously. Here God's saying, I'll destroy the person that is causing these kinds of problems and divisions and strife, jealousy that he's described in these pages so far. What a serious thing it is when we are the ones who are the cause of strife, when we are the ones who are the cause of division, when we are the ones who are the cause of fighting. And he's writing to them because this is all going on at this Corinthian church, this complete mess that they have there where there is strife and anger and friction. And these things are no small thing to God. And He is telling them, understand that the choices you make and the things that you say and the things that you do, they very much matter to God. And I can think of so many other congregations that I've either been a part of or well acquainted to. It simply breaks my heart to think of the decisions that were made and what certain people did at certain times that caused for the spiritual meltdown of that congregation where you see congregations die, congregations fold, congregations fight, congregations split. These words here are extremely serious. Anyone who would destroy God's field, destroy God's building, destroy God's temple, God holds them in account. And that is a serious thing that I think Paul is laying upon the shoulders of Paul and Apollos there as well, is that those who build 
and are building up and doing this work, they also are accountable and they are doomed if they are not building on Christ as that foundation and using the quality materials of the Word of God to stand squarely on this is what God's Word says, this is what we must do, and not deviate from that because we will be held in account as well. There is such a great charge that is put upon God's spiritual leaders, a charge that is placed upon the elders and those who lead, that you will be held accountable for these things and to recognize these things as so important. Which means then, I think for us, it is very interesting when you consider what a mess Corinth is. Please take a step back and consider the mess of this congregation. We aren't there yet. We've studied some of their messes and messes in pre prior years. Remember, we have them taking each other to court. They're suing each other. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. We'll get there. I'm hoping to get out to chapter six before I close off the undivided series. You see them suing each other. You see they've got marriage a mess. You see they have three chapters of idolatry a mess. They've got a head covering issue. They have the Lord's Supper all fouled up. They've turned it into a common meal and are going crazy with the Lord's Supper. They are arguing over miraculous spiritual gifts and promoting themselves one over another. They seem to be denying the resurrection of Christ altogether. And the Apostle Paul comes along and says, Stop fighting and figure it out and work together. And I think that is a huge declaration. He does not tell them, all right, there are some people there that are really a mess and they got the resurrection, the Lord's Supper, and the marriage, and they got all those things wrong, so you need to leave and go start the second church of Christ of Corinth down the street somewhere and throw rocks at them and preach sermons at them for the next three years about how they're wrong. He doesn't do it. He doesn't tell them, well, you need to start a fight, make a stink, be angry. Focus on your work. See who you are. God gets all the glory. He's the important one. And we are supposed to look at the work that is before us. Focus on that work and recognize it's going to be tested by fire. Our lives as individuals will be tested by fire. Will we be ready when the fire comes and prove our faith and be standing strong? And as he's getting to the point here, the church in Corinth is going to go through the fire. Will your faith be strong? And will you behave as Christians ought to behave and focus on the work that is at hand and do the things that God has called you to do? Or will you crumble and be burned up as the fire comes? Every church goes through the fire, just as every individual goes through the fire. Will we be ready? Will we be prepared? And notice that he is tying this to spiritual maturity. This is what it means to think spiritually. This is what it means to not act as an infant, but to grow up in the faith, to grow up spiritually, understanding that our actions will be held in account if we hurt God's building, if we hurt God's field, if we hurt what work God is attempting to do. I would probably love to spend a tangent and 20 more minutes on that. But let me just round that point out by just thinking, do we really think that God is pleased 
in whatever motive or purpose that we have in our heart for what we say or what we do, that He is pleased if it causes the harm or destruction of a local body of Christians. I can't see how. And when you think about how messed up Corinth is, and how God tells them, here's what you need to do, I think it speaks volumes on how we are supposed to work together as God's body to move through difficulties, to move through challenges, to act spiritually mature, and to understand the work that has been given to us in continuing to push forward in the city of West Palm Beach and the greater community of reaching the lost and showing God to the world. And that leads to this, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself... If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. For the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ. And Christ is God's. What what a great ending to this section as he speaks to these things because he is talking about how they need to properly think about themselves. And notice where he goes where he says, you got to think properly about yourself. Verse 18, don't deceive yourself in these things. You need to think properly because it is easy to fall into the trap of worldly wisdom and fall into the trap of fleshly behavior. Not to do those things. Don't fall into that trap. And that's what he uses there in verses 19 and 20. Why he set that up for those first two chapters. Thinking like the world, behaving like the world, acting like the world. These things are destructive. Do not do that. Have a proper view of yourself. And it reminds us that we must become fools before God in the world's eyes so that we may be wise before God. It is an important warning that He had given them earlier in this book. If we are to be wise in the world, then we are not going to be wise toward God. Have a proper view of self and understand something that God knows our hearts, that God knows our minds. And thus he warns them of that in verse 20. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and he knows that they are futile. He's fully aware of our thought process and what is going on. And so watch ourselves because of that. And then the second change of thinking is in verses 21 to 23 when he wants them to have a proper view of others. Don't boast in other people. And I love the reason why. Notice verse 21 is not, well, we're just people, so don't boast in them. That's true. He already said, we're just servants, don't boast in us. But notice what he says there. Don't boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or the future, all are yours. What is he saying? Why not boast in other people? He said, why would you boast in Paul? Paul's a great blessing to you. Wonderful. But so is Apollos. And so is Peter. You have all of these things in Christ. You have all of the apostles when you belong to Christ. You have all the gospel teachers. That would be like 
you know, Andy and I having an argument with each other over like, like who's the better teacher and who does the better. You get everybody. You get all the teachers. You can like them all. You don't have to pick and choose. They're all workers. And you just go, we like them all. They're great. It's not a competition that Paul is saying here that you'd pick one and go, now pick Paul. I'm not Apollos. What a wonderful thing it is that we can say we have all of these things because we belong to him. And so then he draws that back in in this thinking and just says, so if you have all things and you enjoy all these things, then then what are you doing in the work of God? Are you destroying God's building? Are you destroying what God is accomplishing? Because am I behaving as a spiritually immature person? For that's what these were doing. By lining up with Paul or Apollos or Cephas, they're destroying the very work that's going on there in Corinth. Just destroying them left and right. Instead of recognizing that we are in this together and that our goal then is to make Christ seem even more glorious through our lives and through our teaching to the world. I would like to end with this particular thought as we we wrap this up. I don't know if this has always been the case, but it certainly seems prevalent right now. This, This present life and this culture, it really clams clamors for us to put ourselves forward and say, I deserve the ultimate respect of people. You have to respect me. That is just such a big deal right now. Uh, It's interesting to me because I saw one teacher, I think it was the high school, that the teacher had had a sign when we were at the open house that said, if you want respect, show yourself worthy of it. And it's interesting sitting in the kids' chair and I was looking at all the signs in there, and that was one of them that was up there. And I thought, well, that shows what he's dealing with as well. Is this is just kind of the air we breathe right now in this culture of, I demand respect. You need to weigh me, my thoughts, who I am. And I want us to observe that is worldly wisdom. Don't fall for that. We are here by the grace of God and that God gets all the glory. The focus should not be about us. It's not about, well, you need to think of me some particular way. And our world is just bent crazy about that kind of thing. Who cares? Focus on the work of the kingdom of God. See God's field. See God's building. And to ask ourselves, what can I do to build up this work? There is a lot we have here in terms of a work that needs to be done. We have a very big reach of people that we need to be seeking out and teaching and reaching out after And it is important for us to ask, what can I do in that work? What can I do as a fellow worker, as a servant? What can I accomplish? And for us to never look down and say, well, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Every member is important. Just as every member of your body is extremely important, no matter how big or small you think you are, You have an equal place and an equal role and an equal importance in the work that needs to be done here. 
And by the same token that we would never move the pendulum to the other side and say, well, it's all about me. And I, it's all, you know, I'm the one that's doing everything and I'm accomplishing so much. And I'm the one that nobody does anything except, oh, poor me. And that's not true. And one of the things that I have certainly loved about this congregation from the day that I've been here is how many people are doing so much work behind the scenes that nobody knows about, that nobody sees, that nobody speaks a word about. And to remind everybody of that, that that there was far more going on and all the things that may happen, that people are at work, that our leaders are at work, they are working tirelessly behind the scenes for our good and trying to do what is in our best interest. And to never lose sight of that is certainly their goal. I'm in a privileged position to get to watch them at work and to just spiritually and emotionally bleed for the congregation and what they desire for this group here and to recognize that that is their certain goal and it is their constant effort to do the work that God has called them to do to the best of their ability and I see that on a regular basis with them for us then what can we do to build it up what can we do to contribute how can we help how can we continue to push that work forward And then by contrast to remember that if we are found tearing down, then we will be held accountable to God. And I recognize the gravity of that for my own life and the position that you have afforded me to stand before you and the great weight that lies with that. To recognize that what we must build with are the proper materials so that when the fire comes, we will be tested and found ready so that things are not at loss, that things are not destroyed. And so we must then think carefully and think carefully because as he writes to these Corinthians, it is this very truth that should keep us from divisions. It's this very truth that should keep us from fighting. We have a job to do. There is a work that lays before us. And if we stand before God and have on our hands how we have destroyed the work, that will not go well for us spiritually. Instead, let us be able to stand before God and say, I did all that I could with the abilities that I had to be able to encourage the work to be a fellow laborer, a fellow worker in the field of God. That's what he wanted for these Corinthians to get to, and I pray that that would be our attitude as well. We're going to sing a song now, and we invite you to think think about your situation before God. What a blessing it is, by the grace of God, that He has given us the opportunity in this very place to work together as God's people. To show the love of God to the community around us and to practice it toward one another. And may we always think in terms of spiritual maturity as we do that. It is easy for there to be hurt feelings that will happen. I always know, I always tell you, I will say dumb things and I don't mean to say dumb things, but I'll say dumb things and I don't want to hurt your feelings. And the kind of grace and mercy and love to care for one another and to overlook these things, to forgive one another, to work together, to study together, to move forward in teaching the lost is such an important task that God has given us. May we always be focused on how we can be building in the field and what we can do to be fellow servants of God and working together toward that goal. 
As we sing this song, if you need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus with all of your heart, the opportunity is available to you for you to do it now. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?